We'll have to keep an eye on them. What is time. going on with your internet? Yeah, right. Uh, well, I mean, it's been weird today around the world, apparently. Yeah, what's going on, you guys? We under attack. Boy, it's nuts out there. What? Hmm. Hey, listener, welcome to the 13th Floor Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And here we are again, another week as friends. Oh, wow. Okay. Talking about this is very cheery. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I like our new theme song. Yeah. What what are we talking about today, you guys? Oh, you're not going to ask how we are, huh? We're breaking I don't listen. Today. I don't really care today. Today I'm just <laughs> over it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, you guys. Today Alex got the Gamera box. I, I was set. gonna say that when you asked me how I was, and then you didn't. Sorry, I stole your thunder. You guys. He's been like uh, a little puppy at the door, waiting for days for this thing <sighs> to come in from FedEx. It's a it, it's a dream come true. All right. First off. This applies to my other podcast, Monsters vs. Men, and I ordered this thing, and it's out of print already. Yeah, they don't wow. make it anymore, you guys. And so my first order is in limbo at Amazon, and yeah. it, they told me to order another one. I'm like, they're literally not making it anymore. I can't. <laughs> and I just, uh, Walmart just happened to get more stock in a few days ago, but I was supposed to get this on Saturday, and you know when something goes missing... At FedEx for a couple of days, you start to get a little worried about that thing that's not made anymore. Yeah. But yeah. You guys, Alex has seriously just been like oh pulling his hair out over this box set. I'm thrilled. I'm going to be doing a funny bit on some video for my Twitter. Yeah. who's your? What's your Twitter handle, Alex? At Al Cornette. Follow me if you want to. It's mostly just like a Godzilla and Ultraman stuff. All so. he talks about is Godzilla. <laughs> And Gamera, too. Yeah. But, James, how have you been? I care about how you've been. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Uh, spice molted. She's gigantic. Or, wait, did we talk about that last time? We talked about that last time, James. My but I, you know what? He sent us a lot of pictures of Spice, and she is looking mighty big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she looks like she's got a little junk in the trunk now, James. Yeah, three times bigger, I swear. But you know what we didn't talk about last time what? was the um, national supply shortage of crickets. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's affected me. Uh, Spice was supposed to be fed like days ago, and I'm just going to have to buy some roaches somewhere. Yeah. So is now, better anyway. James is, now James is slowly like peeling some skin off for the, for the <laughs> it's like oh, It's like little shop of horrors, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, you guys, that's uh, that's how we've been, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What's our icebreaker today? Uh, you're the one that made it up just a minute ago. Yeah, I came came up with an icebreaker, you guys, and I don't even have an answer. You guys, what's your favorite book? Hmm. Well, I don't read as much as I would like to. I read a lot in high school, actually. But <laughs> I would say, ooh, maybe something like. I haven't even finished a series. I'm like 300 pages away from being done. But The oh. Gunslinger, The oh. Dark Tower of the Gunslinger. Mm. That's actually a pretty I've good book. I've always really liked that book. You're, and then, you're 300 pages from the end for like a decade. <laughs> oh, longer than that, James. It's, oh, probably been about, it's probably been about 14 years now. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. And then I would say that. And then 
The Shining's really good too. The Shining. It is a good. It's mm. a good book. James, what about you? Uh, Fiction-wise, huge, huge Lord of the Rings fan, and yeah, and <laughs> non-fiction-wise, hmm, I'd have to say Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Now that sounds like a best-selling book. It is. I've never heard of it. Before, it was James. written by the most powerful man in the world at the time, the Emperor of Rome. What the yeah. heck are you? Oh my goodness! Stoicism. What a nerd! Oh what a nerd. What I don't. A I nerd. don't get it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I like shaming James with you. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite. You know, this is probably pretty like. I don't know if this is a cop-out answer, but I really like Harry Potter. That's one book that I can read over and over again and not get tired of. Mm. And then also, other than Harry Potter, I really, really liked Catcher in the Rye mm. by J.D. Salinger. That one really touched my soul when I was growing up, you guys. Mm. Your co-host, uh, Alex Neely, I, I uh, had a lengthy conversation with him once about Catcher in the Rye. It's like his favorite what? book. With Alex Neely? Who's that? No, no, with Alex's co-host for the Godzilla podcast, Eric. You called you called him Alex Neely. Yeah, no, yeah. I said Alex, comma, and then I meant Neely, like because I call him. Oh, you know. <laughs> sure. I was so confused. I was like, "Who the heck is Alex?" Neely? I'm, still, I'm still confused, but I'm gonna nod my head and say, "Meditations by Zibazor." <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> All right, you guys, are we ready to hop on into our topic today? We're talking about. UFOlogists, famous UFOlogists. And this topic was submitted to us by Carson. Carson Daly? No, Carson. I think he's in Texas. And he's wonderful and he's a regular listener. So thank you for sending us this topic, Carson. Hey, James, if anybody wants to send us a topic for future episodes, where should they send it? They can go to our website, 13thfloorpodcast.com. They can email us at 13thfloorpodcast at gmail.com. That's actually about it. <laughs> no, they can also they can also send it to me on Instagram because that is where most people That's actually true. submit their topics. That's true. Instagram's a big one. Did yeah. you say our website? I did. He said, yeah, there, there's did. so many dot coms. I don't yeah. know. Well, that's the thing. We, we got an Instagram. We got a Facebook. We got a website. We got an email, and you can submit it through all those. Incidentally, on the yeah. website, you can actually even leave us a voicemail. Uh, through one of the links, and we'll play the request if you want. Yeah, you could hear your voice, your beautiful melodic voice right here on the 13th Floor Podcast. But one important note on that, if you do send us a voice recording, you're giving us permission to play it. So Yeah, unless you specify in the voice. At the end of the voicemail, you're like, and please don't play this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah, That's true. Make sure you give us the disclaimer. Okay, are we ready to talk about UFOs? Yep. Yeah, let's do it. All I'm not right. talking about UFOs. I'm talking about UFOlogists. Yeah. Did you read the prompt? I did. I read the prompt. <laughs> it's from Carson. James, Sir James, you're going to yep. start us off today. Who are you talking about? I'm starting with the granddaddy of all UFOlogists, Robert Lazar. Ooh. And by granddaddy, Bobby. I don't mean like the first, but just the biggest, the the most well-known, hands down. There uh, you go. I, yeah. I used uh, I used a similar description for my guy. I used a similar <laughs> description for my guy. <laughs> oh my oh man, that's hilarious. Oh man. <laughs> well, Bob Lazar, this is going to be a fun one to talk about because the way it starts off is is pretty much with me saying I'm about to destroy this whole this man's whole career. 
Um, <laughs> because Bob Lazar has been a very controversial figure. And we touched up on some of those controversies in our Area 51 episode. Yes, we did. Because Bob Lazar claims that he worked at a subsidiary installation a few kilometers south of the area that we call Area 51. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one of his biggest claims is he said that he worked on an aircraft. Basically, his job was to reverse engineer an alien craft that used antimatter in a reactor that is powered by the, at the time, undiscovered Element 115. What mm. the heck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this has been thoroughly debunked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's start with let's start with some of the controversies. First of all, he claims he studied at MIT. There are no records that he studied at MIT. Oh. He claims that he was employed by the U.S. military at Area 51. There are no records that he was employed by the U.S. military at Area 51. Oh my gosh! There is, later on, we actually discovered Element 115. It's called Muscovium, and. Most people, most skeptics at least, say it doesn't do any of the things that he says that it does. <laughs> then he ran into a lot, a lot of legal trouble. First of all, he was arrested in 1990 for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring. Now this, oh my gosh. Yeah, now this got reduced to felony pandering, and he pled guilty to it, and he had to do 150 hours of community service. He wasn't... He's, He's not allowed to go to brothels anymore, <laughs> and he had to see a, a, a therapist. Then, 2006, he and his wife were charged for shipping restricted chemicals across the state for their fireworks company. In, in other words, they were they were using banned services, substances to make illegal fireworks. And then, and then, you guys, <laughs> in 2019, uh, or sorry, 2017. It wasn't made public until 2019. Um, he got in trouble, and he was actually raided. His uh, supply company was raided because he was looking for thallium sulfate, which can be used as a poison. Hmm. And in fact, it, it's actually responsible for the near extinction of an owl in Israel because it was uh, used willy-nilly as a pesticide for many years. So, so you're saying he was spinning a lot of plates. <laughs> He was spinning a lot of plates, and all of them seemed to run into legal trouble. Uh, couple that with you know the lack of evidence, you know it's it's kind of nuts. And what's what's most fun about this is that if we had done this segment in like March, that probably would have been the end of my little segment. But I'm about to shum a llama ding dong it and start. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know a lot's happened lately. The government's pretty much said, like, oh, yeah, aliens, they're totally real. And uh, some of the things that he said has starting to come to light as being validated, even the craziest things. For example, there's no record that he went to MIT or that he worked at Area 51. Well, there's also no record of him being born. He doesn't have a birth certificate. So What? Yeah, so it stands to reason that maybe they really did whitewash everything just like he said. Maybe they did scrub all their records. Turns wow. out his name is Lob Bazaar. <laughs> Lob Bazaar. <laughs> oh, man. Um, additionally, in 2007, there really was a uh, an organization formed to sort of reverse engineer some of the uh, things that we saw in the sky, or the military more accurately saw in the night in the sky, 
that uh, violated you know, military law, that violated a lot of national border laws, and most importantly, that violated the laws of aerodynamics. Mm. So that part has been validated. There really is a uh, aerospace threat identification program, advanced aerospace threat identification program. So that's come to light. Additionally, remember how I said all these skeptics have just been trash-talking him because Element 115 has been proven? Uh, it's been discovered since since he talked about it. It's Muscovium. Well, yeah. there's something interesting you should know about Muscovium that all these Ooh. skeptics sites never talk about and I find very odd, which is that it's a very strong element given its heaviness, given how it's super heavy. And the reason why this is the case is because the electrons actually move faster comparable to the speed of light. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, it, for something this dense to be as stable as it is, and don't get me wrong, it, it's not a very stable element, but compared to other elements with similar densities, uh, or similar masses, I think would be a, a better way of phrasing that, uh, yeah, it's a very unique element. So, in terms of its properties, in terms of what it could be used for, I can see it being, and this is me being unprofessional, but I can see it being used in something like that, at least uh, in a in a manner that's not just using it in its pure form. And we could make that mm. claim about everything. I mean, just look at nowadays what, what could possibly be done with graphene, which is just carbon. We've got all these amazing mm. properties happening with something that's, you know, in terms as an element, it's structurally the same or structurally, atomically the same as coal. So, yeah, I, 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 a lot has happened in the past few years that really, to me, it doesn't prove that he's telling the truth. And a lot of the things he's done, obviously, has been pretty crazy. But if I was a scary black ops kind of fella who had someone working on UFOs to reverse engineer their technology and he went public... That's exactly what I would do. I'd discredit him every time he did anything. He'd go to the grocery store, I'd be like, ah, he's running a brothel. <laughs> Bust this guy. <laughs> so I, I'm not saying that he's definitely telling the truth, but I am saying that with everything that's happened in the past three months with regard to UFO disclosure, we really need to actually take a fresh look at some of the things that have been quote unquote debunked about him over the past 30 years and start looking at them through the lens of, of what we've now discovered, or at least been informed about. Mm. Dang, James, that was for real. And that was awesome. Shamalama <laughs> ding dong right there. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, wow. James, did you know that James is a Muscovium expert now? No, yeah. I did now. Yeah, yeah. Muscovium's actually my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It looks like I just pulled up a picture of it because I was like, I want to know what it looks like. And it looks like something you would see in a TV show about alien <laughs> <laughs> but then most of the pictures there's one picture here it's a whole, a whole bunch of fruit loops mm. <laughs> glued to oh, a it's piece a of cardboard it's a periodic table. it is it's a periodic table we need to get one to do that okay anyways <laughs> um that was uh, yeah that was wonderful thank you for talking about bob La lazar uh, sorry lob bazaar <laughs> bazaar alex who are you talking about i'm talking about stanton friedman Stanton Friedman? Yeah, the granddaddy. The bestest of the bestest. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah, professional uh, ufologist Stanton T. Friedman. Now, why am I calling him the granddaddy? Well, 
Stanton Friedman was the first civilian to document the site of the Roswell UFO incident. Ooh, so he was the first one to say, hey, there's someone on the sky? Yes, yeah. Now, the weird thing is, you know, this is the incident where the Air Force, quote, had a weather balloon go down, end quote. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. a direct yeah. quote. But Those days are balloon. long yeah. since over. <laughs> yeah. Ever since right? June. Oh, man. <laughs> The incident, this incident happened in 1947, but really the first civilian investigation of it didn't happen until 1978 to 1980 is when he really Whoa. started doing this. Huh. Yeah. And Friedman took a look and this investigation to his own hands and began interviewing hundreds of people involved or allegedly involved in this. And it turns out that the government declassified it and supposedly... This <laughs> this balloon was a nuclear testing balloon. Like it was supposed to test the radiation in the atmosphere. That's what they've said it is since then. I don't mm. buy it. So he along with his interviews and the Freedom of Freedom of Information Act, along with, you know, all of his eyewitness testimony, he came to the conclusion that there had indeed been an alien crash. And the government covered it up, along with, of course, the bodies that lay within. The aliens. Mm. That's right. And so after presenting his findings, he began to get all these speaking gigs, and his career as a ufologist really kicked off. And Stanton, he spoke all around the world and debated not just alien deniers, but also other people seeking like similar results as him. But it's really because he had a very specific belief. Uh-oh. Hmm. Freeman believed that, that this one specific thing, and that was flying saucers in particular. He said all flying saucers are UFOs, but not all UFOs are flying saucers. And then stated that there's a, there's a reason why he's more interested in UFO, or sorry, flying saucers. And that's because he had a career for 14 years as a nuclear physicist. Hmm. And here, here are the things he worked on, and this might explain why he was more interested in, as he said, flying saucers. He worked on classified programs in nuclear aircraft, fission, fusion rockets, and compact nuclear reactor plants for space stations Man. for space Ooh. applications. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, he was a genius. The guy was actually a genius, and. That and these these are all like public information. These aren't claims he was making. He actually did do these things. So, like with Lob Bazaar, we don't have any proof that he worked right. at Area Fifty One. And then yeah. with this guy, it's like, yeah, he did. Yeah, I mean, New York Times him. wrote a full article about him about all the all the stuff he had worked on and all this stuff because he passed mm. away last year. He was very accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. So that obviously you could see why someone working with all these things would be interested in how an alien spaceship would work. Yeah. If you can figure <laughs> out how to do all that stuff, you're probably like, I want to figure out yeah. that stuff. Right. And so obviously that meant that Freeman believed in intelligent life that would be behind these advanced spacecrafts. Yeah. But he often entered these debates with an organization we've talked about before, uh, SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. So what SETI does by searching for intelligence is they essentially look for pings out in space. They look for a pattern that might indicate intelligent life, and then they go, oh, intelligent life. Yeah. Well, I almost said Bob Lazar. Uh, Friedman. (laughs) (laughs) 
Freeman believed that the aliens have actually been present here, which is not something SETI actually believes. SETI, SETI is like, no, aliens haven't been here, but we do believe they exist, but into the deepest reaches and the blackest of space. Yeah, but Friedman was like, I saw a ship crash. No, Friedman never saw the ship crash. Okay. He he had talked to enough people to convince him that it had. Okay, all that right. That the event, event had transpired. And mm. he actually did a lot of debates. He even did a debate on CNN about the existence of aliens. Mm. So he's because he was consistently challenged throughout his entire career, and he never wavered. A lot of times, Friedman would even use Project Blue Book number 14, which we've talked about before. James covered that topic. Yeah. And he used the Majestic 12 documents. So Another yeah. James. Right. You know, docs pertaining to the cover-up of the Roswell incident. To substantiate a lot of his claims. But what I really like about Friedman is that he was a lot more self-aware and unwilling to fall into confirmation bias than a lot of these ufologists we've seen. Because he openly discredited some of the Majestic 12 documents while also proving some of them. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So he was absolutely willing to look at the work that he was working with. And busted apart if it didn't make any sense to him. Okay, well, that's rare these days. Right. So that really adds a lot of legitimacy to a lot of his claims. And he had this interview uh, in 1976 that I really liked that he did. And he, it, it's this, this quote that they use at the end, I guess, of New York Times' obituary for him. Mm. I really liked it. And he said, they asked him, why does he believe in aliens when he, or in, and UFOs when he's never actually seen one himself? He says, I spent 14 years chasing gamma rays and neutrons in the industry. I've never seen a neutron or a gamma ray. I've never seen Australia, but it's there. <laughs> I like him. Yeah, I really like that. So that is our friend. Stanton T. Friedman. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he wrote some books on it and stuff. Uh, speaking of signals, you know, just the other day we, we got another signal that uh, it repeats every 157 days. And it's been pretty, oh. actually, it's not been pretty consistent. It's been perfectly consistent. And uh, yeah, it was it was right on time the other day. I know, I know what that is. Okay. That's my frequency of working out. 100, every hundred fifty seven days, <laughs> very consistent. Yeah, I wonder if like they know. I mean, assuming it's intelligent, it could. It's probably just like a planet or something. But like, if it was intelligent, I wonder if they understand that we have a twenty four hour cycle. In which case, maybe one hundred fifty seven significant because one hundred fifty seven is a pretty unique number. Like it's an EMARP, which means that it's a prime number forwards one five seven, but it's also a prime number backwards seven fifty one. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Just saying, 157's neat. 157's <laughs> neat. neat. <laughs> All right. If you guys take anything from this podcast, let it be that. That 157 is neat. All right, Alex, thank you for talking about Stan Friedman. He seems like such a nice guy. He does. Yeah. Now I'm talking about a guy. <laughs> Prominent ufologist who really made a name for himself by sharing abductee stories. And that person is Mr. Bud Hopkins. Mm -hmm. 
AKA the granddaddy of all ufologists. Yes. Yeah. And I know that we've actually mentioned him in passing in several previous episodes. And yeah, he's, he's a really fascinating figure when it comes to the study of aliens and UFOs because he kind of became the so-called granddaddy <laughs> of uh, the alien abduction movement per the New York Times obituary, which I also read his obituary. Oh, nice. both, Yeah, we both got our information from obituaries. From obituaries. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in the New York Times. That's all. Like that. That was source material for all of my topics. Oh. So here we go. Back to Bud. He was born June fifteenth, nineteen thirty-one. Which I know somebody who shares his birthday. Pretty cool. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But he was born June fifteenth in Wheeling, West Virginia. And age two, he survived polio. Mm. So he was a true survivor. Wow. Yeah, he's pretty cool. And he actually grew up to become a notable abstract expressionist artist in the 1950s. Hmm. Yeah. Pre-alien obsession. But he got a degree in art history from Oberlin College in 1953. And then he moved to New York, as one does when you're an artist. Mm -hmm. And he made such a name for himself uh, in the art community. And he was so reputable that he actually has pieces hanging up at the Met and at the British Museum mm. and lots of other famous galleries around the world. So he was he was like a legit artist, you guys. Hmm. Yeah. When he was a kid, he actually listened to Orson Welles' 1938 radio broadcast of War of the Worlds. Oh. Yeah. Y'all remember when that happened? Yeah, I, I do. remember. Yeah. Well, it terrified him and his family. And they were, they were actually pretty scarred from oh. it. Um, so for a long time, he was very skeptical about the idea of aliens existing at all because it's like, oh, that, you know, that right. hoax. So for a long time, he just was very skeptical about the thought of aliens. But that all changed, you guys, in 1964. Uh-oh. That's when old Bud was just walking around Cape Cod, <laughs> minding his own business, probably pondering the latest episode of The Munsters and humming, <laughs> you really got me. You really got me now. <laughs> so specific. Wow. Kinks. So that's, that's what I picture in my head. But all of a sudden, he looked up at the sky, you guys, and boom, UFO. In, in broad daylight, saw a UFO, and he described mm. it as being silvery disc. And he tried reporting it to the Air National Guard, apparently, but they were like, whatever, dude. Like, <laughs> we don't have time for this. And he was pretty angry about how little attention they were giving to him in his sighting. And so he was like, I did see something. I'm going to go look into it. And so he did all this research and he became really fascinated with all things UFO. And he started collecting these stories from other people who'd claimed to see them too. And even crazier to have been taken up by this, the UFOs. Oh, most of them, unfortunately, against their wills and very traumatically. And he published an article about an abduction. Can't remember the name of the guy, but it was an abduction of one person in a paper called The Village Voice which then led him to do another article in another magazine. And then next thing he knew, he had all these people coming forward to him saying, hey, I think I might have been abducted. Can you help me figure out if I was abducted? And so that's where he really began compiling these collections of stories and putting them into books. And thus began the mass fascination with alien abductions. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, he kind of put a spotlight on that side of UFO studies. And in a way, the stories he wrote kind of set the bar for what we think of when we think of an alien abduction story. Like when you guys think of alien abduction, what do you guys picture in your brains? Saucer, beam of light, waking up on a medical table, OMG, what's happening? 
Yeah. Well, all of the James is this character. (laughs) All of those. Those are all elements that a Hopkins kind of found were quite common amongst abduction survivors. And one little nitpick, you guys, that I have with his research. A lot of the stories he recorded from the alien abduction victims he spoke to were obtained under hypnosis. No. And y'all know how I feel about hypnosis. It's true. (laughs) Wait, how do you feel about hypnosis? Just in case people know. No, I don't. I think that hypnosis is a very difficult way to pull any credible story from a person. Yep. Power of Alex is waving his cell phone in front of my face trying to knock me out. (laughs) But that being said, you guys, the abduction survivors, regardless of whether they were taken or not, they had clearly, the people he spoke to had clearly gone through some type of trauma. Yeah, uh, they believed it happened. Yeah, they believed that it happened. They obviously had, you know, they weren't in a great mental state. Their stories need to be taken seriously. And with some level of understanding, because I imagine if, if you were taken by an alien, you come home and you tell people that you were just taken, and then they're like, no, you're crazy. I bet mm. that that would really actually drive somebody insane. Oh, yeah. So Hopkins, yeah, Hopkins was very understanding and cautious about these abductees, which he called victims, because, you know, they were taken against their will. And Hopkins, he actually ran group therapy sessions for survivors in New York City. So I do think that he really did care about the well-being of these people. But anyways, through all of his research, Mr. Hopkins collected some commonalities about just the alien species. And he reported that many of the survivors described the following with regards to the people who took them. Okay. One, aliens are short with big old buggy eyes. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. Two, they usually tend to have gray skin. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Three, they speak fairly decent English. Mm. Bleh. Which, to be honest, I wonder if he just spoke to abductees that were from, like, English-speaking countries. Or would abductees in other countries say, oh, they spoke perfect Spanish or they spoke perfect French. It'd be really weird if it was the other way around. It'd be really nuts if somebody was abducted in Russia and they were like, oh, they spoke perfect English. They... They, they said they were from Bath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's well, really weird. I just, I always pictured aliens kind of speaking telepathically. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, in my brain, they could speak every language because they just think mm. what they want to think. And then you're like, oh, I understand. Mm. What if they studied English from like the colonial times? And they're like, oi, chap. Oh, is that how they <laughs> spoke in the colonial times? I don't know. That's, that's how they speak get- in flipping uh, Lancashire today. We need to get James to read another old English story like the uh, worm, <laughs> worm story you read. What was that? Um. Oh, shoot. Oh, man. What the was worm. it called? The something the worm. worm. Yeah. The worm. The worm. <laughs> I just remember you saying it. Anyway, it's you guys. James once told us a story about a worm. <laughs> if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and The Lambton Worm. Yeah. yeah Lambton yeah. Worm. There it is. <laughs> that was that was quite a ride, James. Okay, all right. Four aliens. They got some pretty advanced technology, you guys. Oh, uh, what a shocker. Yeah. Five. <laughs> There's lots of probing. <laughs> that one just terrifies me. But it's a commonality between a lot of these stories. And six, they often take a little baby-making materials like eggs and sperm. Mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And at the end of the day, Hopkins came up with a pretty hot take on what aliens are really after when they visit Earth, you guys. Mm -hmm. And that is he thought that they were practicing some form of 
extraterrestrial eugenics. Ah. Yeah. He said that he thought mm-hmm. that it was to help basically save their species so to prevent their race from dying crossbred with humans. Hmm. And I don't hmm. know how he jumped to that conclusion, but he did. Well, if they're cha- if they're taking baby-making material, yeah. I could see maybe One how he was going to get there. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I was more inclined to I think just, they've got some sort of conserve, like basically, like, like a zoo. Where it's like, you know, we got to oh, save. Very yeah. possible. And, you know, they could be doing that with all the life on Earth. It's just, you know, ferns and sheep aren't going to be complaining about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if sheep did complain, we wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah, they think everything's bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dad jokes over here. Okay. <laughs> After he came to that very interesting conclusion, <laughs> he's he's cracked himself up, James. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So anyways, uh, after Hopkins came to that conclusion, he founded a group called the Intruders Foundation, which I actually think is closed now. Hmm. But its main goal was basically to sound the alarm on aliens being present on Earth or at least hanging around and taking people all willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. And Hopkins said that a lot of his victims came to him wondering if they'd been abducted, like they weren't even sure if they'd been abducted. Um, but they were missing time and they had just this overwhelming feeling that something was missing or they didn't know something. Mm-hmm. And so then they would undergo hypnosis, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I've been abducted by aliens. That's how a lot of these stories actually right. went. Yeah. Which, if you've listened to our hypnosis episode, the power of suggestion is a very powerful thing. Yeah. So whenever I see that hypnosis is used for something like this, it always kind of just makes me take a step back and go, is that real? Agreed. Because... If Bud Hopkins, I mean, I don't know if Bud Hopkins was the one doing the hypnosis. I would think it would be somebody else. But if, you know, oh, you know, did did you see a, a bright tunnel? Were you picked up by a bright tunnel? And somebody mm-hmm. says, yes, like, you know, so yeah. easy. And then also around the time that all this these reports started coming out, the media was also talking about alien encounters a lot. So it's difficult to know whether or not the media may have possibly suggested something to people yeah the zeitgeist is a big issue you know whenever there's like a leprechaun movie or anything like that that comes out there's always like a huge spike in sightings like if if tomorrow there was a flipping movie that came out about you know pixies there would be a huge uptick in pixie sightings that's just how it goes it's just how it goes alex me well according to bud he said that he thinks based upon his science and calculation that one in 50 humans has actually been abducted by aliens. They just don't know it happened. Wow. Ugh. Yeah, that's that's a huge number. That's a lot. Coupled with his very uh, negative view of aliens, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to believe. And if it is real, it's very disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, so I'm like, if I was abducted by aliens, I definitely don't want to know about it. So, <laughs> but anyways... The New York Times article I read actually had a link to an alien abduction quiz <laughs> that you could fill out to see if maybe you've been taken. Mm. Oh, God. So you're both Ellen. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just staring at Alex. He's, he's hunched over and his shoulders are going up and down violently as he laughs <laughs> silently to himself. Oh, my gosh. Okay, you guys. So at the end of the day, Mr. Bud Hopkins was – he was really a trailblazer a grandfather, if you will, the study of aliens and UFOs, and John Mack and Whitley Strieber, two other very notable ufologists who we'll probably discuss at one point or another. And I know that I've mentioned John Mack before. 
But they both say that Bud Hopkins' work is what inspired them to actually start studying UFOs and aliens Ooh. and alien encounters. Yeah, so he really, his work really did spur a lot of other great ufologists to kind of come about. And Hopkins, he wrote a lot of books, including one called Intruders, The Incredible Visitations of Copley Woods, which spurred a TV-made movie starring Richard Crana. Oh, yeah, Richard Crana. You guys, he was in Rambo 3. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sadly, Hopkins did pass away. He passed away on August 21st, 2011, at his house in Manhattan at the age of 80. So, you guys, that is Bud Hopkins. Wow. Nice. Nice. So, you guys, this has been a fun episode talking about ufologists. It's it's always nice to kind of return to aliens, even though it always does make me terrified. I remember last time we spoke about aliens, uh, when we went to bed, I just laid in the bed for like maybe two to three hours yeah, while it. Alex slept soundly next to me, mm. but I waited until he fell asleep so I could go and turn on the light in the bathroom because I get scared sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what would be fun if somebody was scared of aliens t- would be to learn the thr- the theremin, you know, that instrument, like, <laughs> and play it. Uh, I don't know why that's the universal alien noise, but it just is. Well, I always, yeah, I think of that, and then I think the noise of something. Oh, like a a pulsating sound? Yeah. So I think that's what Betty and Barney Hill reported hearing. Oh, right. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. James, do you ever get scared at night? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I I don't like uh, sleep paralysis, so, yeah. It's terrible. James, what do you do when you get scared at night? Do you turn on the bathroom light? Uh, no, but I will routinely, like if, if I just feel like something's amiss, I will check all the corners and under the bed just to make sure. Cause I don't believe in monsters, but I don't want to be the first person to find out they're real. Oh. <laughs> Man. I like that. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Well, you guys, that's famous ufologists. Thank you for this topic submission, Carson. Yeah. And yeah. next week, we're actually, we're going to refrain from pulling from the vase because next week we're going to have a special guest on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to be talking about premonitions. Mm-hmm. So you guys stay tuned. We're going to talk about premonitions. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, did you just have a premonition that you heard that? Did you? Or is that, did you hear it twice? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you guys have anything else that you want to add before we get off the microphone? Just for anybody who hadn't uh, heard the episode where we talk about it, I do think it's weird that Aleister Crowley described demons almost to a T with what later became known as greys. I'm already not going to get sleep tonight. Why do you have to bring up? Okay. Mm. All right. He did that on purpose, you guys. All Mm -hmm. right. Well, I guess, yeah, listen to that episode that we did. And also listen to our hypnosis episode and you know what? Just listen to all of them. The mm-hmm. Lampton worm, they're all out there. Uh, and you know what? If you like these episodes, we hope that you will leave us a review on iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you to everybody who left reviews for us this week. We always appreciate the love and we enjoy making this podcast for you guys. So we can't wait to see what topic submissions we get this week. Mm-hmm. And I guess until next time, you guys, we can 
No. Wait, we can. We can. Oh, what about Alex? You, oh, yeah, Alex, who does our music. Our music is by Greg Cooking. Find music on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, any real this is on music. Uh, and do we have any geographical things? Uh, J- James? I'm What's sorry. That? Oh, my God. James, oh, my goodness. Yeah, let me- Shout out to the USA. No, not just the (laughs) USA. Let's pull it up. We've never given the country as a whole a shout out. That's that's true. That's true. (laughs) Let me pull up my map of the United States and see where we're at. Okay. One second. Thank you, Canada. You know what? We got a lot of listeners in Canada. Canada's wonderful. Same with Australia. They've really kind of like... I'm actually kind of amazed by how much they've been listening this week. Yeah, Australia, man, they're engaged, too. They love to, like, you know, tell us things. It's great. Yeah, they reach out to us. So thank you for all of our listeners in Australia. We got some listeners in Colombia this week, so that's a new new place. Mm-hmm. But we're also going to say hello to everybody in Romania. Oh, And then know. here in the USA, you know what? I'm just going to pick. I'm going to close my eyes. We're going to pick Illinois. Illinois. <laughs> so hello to everybody in Illinois and in Canada. We're going to say hello to everybody in Alex. How do you say that one right there? That's brand new. We've never had oh, a listener. Oh, yeah, we never had before. a listener there. Uh, Nuvanut? Nunavut. 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 Goodness. All right, you guys, until next time. Keep it straight. Is that better, James? Lob Bazaar.